Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show this afternoon. I'm Evan Barnard here along with Ira Work. Paul is taking the weekend off in honor of Veterans Day. And uh, he gave us the opportunity to uh, run the helm for another couple, three hours. We look forward say that's to slacker. celebrating our freedom, both free markets and uh, what the military has provided. How are you doing today, Ira? I am doing very well on this cold day, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't like to hold it all. I, but, you know, I was thinking about this as I was driving in. So Paul's on vacation, right? Yes. Do you think he's having fun? <laughs> do you think he's listening from afar? Or do you think he's having fun listening from afar? While he's playing drums is my guess. Playing drums. All the above. All right. I thought he had a gig like in Amsterdam with some famous band or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. He may just be taking the day off. It's hey, all the above. There you go. The uh, Well, you know, we would certainly be remiss uh, on Veterans Day, uh, the 11th of November, uh, without honoring those who serve. Uh, I was running some numbers this week in advance of today, and we have about 1.8 million members currently serving, either on active duty or in the reserves across all five branches and the National Guard. Um, and that's, you know, that's pretty exciting. That's a little less than 1% of the population. About half a percent of our population is maintaining the freedom for the other 99.5%, which I think is, uh, which is excellent. And uh, I always enjoy Veterans Day because it's the day after the Marine Corps birthday, which is November 10th. <laughs> and so I enjoy everyone changing their Facebook posts in honor of my birthday. But um it's, uh, you know, we do, we do honor those who serve as well as their families uh, and even extended families. If you have a child that's serving or you might have a parent uh, that's serving uh, at this point. Uh, some of my classmates, one just retired. He's a three-star general, but he'd been serving 38 years. I'm thinking, wow. I could have been serving 38. That's a long time. Well, you know, you mentioned if you're, you, know, you may have a child serving, which you have two yes. children yeah. serving. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you have two children serving, you have siblings serving. Correct. So there might be people out there in the listening audience who has a sibling serving. So we also want to honor those who have family serving. Yeah. Because you're also making a tremendous sacrifice. Yep, exactly. Uh, and so, you know, I thought it would be appropriate since we're talking about freedom a little bit, and that's, uh, that's on everyone's minds. Um, I just thought we could have a basic review of the importance of freedom and how it's just an under, undergirding uh, pillar of capitalism and just reviewing kind of what, what goes on with capitalism. And, you know, people hear the term capitalism, you know, okay, well, what does that really mean? Kind of like when we use the term, you know, the American dream, that can mean a lot of different things. To, you know, to different people. They might have their own image of that. But let's talk about some basic things. Um, now, this, in, in reading through some stuff, it was interesting that one of the first items that was mentioned, which I sort of agree with, but uh, I'm going to point out a, 
area I disagree, you can jump in, is the first thing it listed was a two-class system. But let me read what they were saying. It says, historically, and of course, you never know, <laughs> you never know which color state the author is in. But historically, capitalist society was characterized by the split between two classes of individuals. The capitalist class, which owns the means for producing and distributing goods, the owners, and the working class who sell their labor to the capitalist class in exchange for wages, the workers. And yet, the second I read that paragraph, I thought, well, almost every quote-unquote worker in this country owns stock in those corporations that are, you know, they're all owners. We're all owners at this point as long as you're participating and in the I'll, free market. Well, and I'll go as far as saying that if you are actually out there buying goods and services, I don't care what it is, yeah. whether it's a T-shirt, whether it's an Apple phone, whether it's a banana, you are actually participating in the market because you are paying into the market. Sure. You're paying those companies which are generating profits for the stockholders. So if you're actually out there buying stuff, you actually should go out and own stocks. Yeah. If you don't already. Might as well put the money in your own pocket. Right. Now, here's the biggie. Private ownership. Private ownership or private property is the cornerstone of any capitalist-based economy. Without having private ownership enshrined in law, the owners of capital have no incentive to take the risks associated with allocating capital to the market. Well, what does that say in simple terms? If someone's going to take away my new idea, they're going to take away my machine that I'm using to crank out widgets or my favorite example, donuts. You know, if, uh, if I get a new tractor to make things easier on the farm and someone can just come take my fencing, take the animals, take the tractor, what incentive does an owner even have to create value. And that's one of the things that the military, and in this case, law enforcement and the entire judicial system, protect property rights. That is a fundamental need within a capitalist system. Well, and if you take that to another level, if you highly tax those people who are creating yeah. these things that you and I buy, and you say, with a tax, we're actually going to penalize you for creating this wealth because of this stuff that you're selling, what's the incentive for these business owners to actually stay in this country? Right. Might as well move yeah. our business to another country where we can make some money. Correct. Yep. So freedom and private property rights are a fundamental, and you certainly don't want the government to take that stuff. Self-interest is another pillar of capitalism. It's a major force behind Adam Smith's big work, you know, talk, when he talked about the invisible hand in his uh, book, Wealth of Nations, back in, I think, 1776, uh, somewhere back there. And it's the opportunity for a company to deploy its capital to turn a profit for itself and its owners, commonly referred to as the profit motive. Now, here's an interesting thing. There, uh, this particular article is talking about it from the corporate standpoint says the profit motive leads to the accumulation of wealth and is the driving force behind capital allocation. But most individuals largely live their life as if they're a business owner or a corporation. 
most people, if they're going to go look for a phone, you were mentioning, I don't know if I'll use bananas, but, you know, using phones as an area to participate in the economy, very few people go out and say, hey, where's the most expensive place I can go to find, you know, to buy this phone? I want the most expensive phone plan. I don't want to save money, you know, and I want this thing to just break every year. No, most people act in their own self-interest. They want a good deal on the phone. Uh, and that brings up competition mm-hmm. is another key component of capitalism. If there was only one phone manufacturer, well, then, you know, you could have a problem as a consumer. But no one wants to pay more for gas. Um, I know you live in a little bit more crowded area than I do in terms of population. <laughs> but, you know, I take great joy in the fact that, you know, I think today gas in Chapel Hill was two sixty nine a gallon. By the time I got to I-65 at the truck stop there, it was, you know, like two eighty five a gallon. And up here it's, you know, two ninety or three in some places. <laughs> and well- well, if I see that it's two sixty nine, I'm going to pull in and fill up the tank. That's self interest. Well, down the street from where I live, uh, about maybe two and a half miles away, uh, it's actually three sixty four. Oh my gosh! For regular or like uh-huh. premium? For regular, shell regular. You know, so I try not to buy gas where I live. <laughs> Coast uh, I try to buy gas downhill from your house. I, I try to buy gas when I'm in either Murfreesboro or Bayonne, yeah. Tullahoma, right? Um, you know, or anywhere in between. Yep. And that brings up freedom of movement. I can drive between those towns. I can look at the next gas station and see which has got a better deal. I can choose Publix over Kroger's or vice versa. You know, uh, we have that freedom of movement. Well. And- Go ahead. It also it also part, it helps us participate in what we call the free market. Right. You right. know, it's like <clears throat> supply and demand. These gas stations know where I live. Mm-hmm. You know, they actually look and they price it based upon what the buyer is willing to pay. Right. So they're not doing anything wrong. I don't know how they're being charged by the supplier. Are they paying more money or are they just making bigger profits? Right. <laughs> and, you know, self-interest and competition ultimately put the consumer in the driver's seat in capitalism. Uh, let's take kind of a technology, almost a toy, the whatever the current version of the, you know, the meta 3D goggles, whatever those virtual, virtual reality. reality. Thank you. Um, you know, if they make people sick, all of a sudden, no one will buy them and Apple would quit making them because they're going to be losing money if they make everyone happy and they just can't believe it. And all of a sudden, families are enjoying, you know, playing tennis in the living room. Then they sell hundreds of thousands or millions of those things. Mm-hmm. But it's the consumer that drives that train. And Apple is not evil for making a profit from a product that everyone is clamoring to buy. No, and for the people that actually think that these companies are evil, these capitalist companies. Right. Yeah, there's really a solution. It's not tax them more money. It's not put them out of business. It's stop buying these products. Exactly. The term I grew up with was using your dollar vote in the economy. Right. And, and we all like to have that, uh, have the vote. And competition helps companies 
strive to be better. The cars that we drive today now have, I think, I think at one point I'd seen an article that there's, you know, like 2,800 or 28,000 computer chips in our cars now that control the gas flow and the firing of the ignition and all the radios and GPS and Bluetooth and everything that's in the car that didn't exist 25 years ago. Well, I can believe that because I remember growing up, my dad used to say, you know, we used to take the car in for service every 3,000 miles. Now, my dad instilled in me that the oil is the lifeblood of a car. And if you just maintain your car properly, it will last a long time. Well, the, like the manuals today, <laughs> and they tell you 5,000 or 10,000. 10, yeah. And I was at uh, the repair shop that took care of my Volkswagen, and I was getting my oil changed every 5,000 miles. Mm -hmm. And he says to me, this new mechanic, he said to me, you don't have to do it like that. There's a computer chip that actually monitors how you drive the car, <laughs> how fast you go, how often you brake, the type of driving that you do, and it will flash when you need your oil changed. Cool. You know, and I use a synthetic oil, and I still have a hard time with that. <laughs> you know, because I'm so used to doing it every 5,000 miles as, um, to as, not do it. It just drives me nuts. As long as it doesn't flash to the law enforcement how fast you're driving. That's exactly right. <laughs> and uh, one of the other tenets we touched on is the freedom to choose. That was the title of Milton Friedman's book, Free to Choose, uh, back in the day. And I think Paul and I were talking about his pencil video on the show a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you ever, if you have the chance, as a reminder, uh, Google Milton Friedman pencil. And there's a great video that just shows the amount of cooperation that goes into producing something as simple as a pencil and you being able to go buy it at the store. The rubber comes from one country and the lead comes from it or the graphite, you know, comes from another. I mean, it's just, it's really a miracle. And all that happens and it probably costs, what, 15 cents now to buy a pencil, you know, and but they make millions of them and it's profitable. And so we want to have choice. Uh, it's interesting. We, we hear a lot about, you know, corporations are dominating everything. And certainly as entities, they're large. But consumer spending is still 70% of all U.S. GDP. Uh, you know, I mean, we still drive the train. The individual consumer is responsible for more than twice the spending of corporations in the economy. And so, you know, people really have more power than they think sometimes. And then finally, uh, one of the keys is minimal government intervention, not anarchy. We're not saying capitalists don't want any government, uh, but we don't want the government dictating what you should buy or not buy. We want the free market to decide that. We want the ability for someone to switch from being a laborer. All of a sudden, they have a good idea. They start to manufacture a new product, and all of a sudden, they've become an owner, and now you have increased competition, but we don't want the government squashing that kind of ability. Um, and I think that, uh, again, on Veterans Day, uh, brings up the piece that there are some things that governments are great at doing and are necessary for. Providing for the common defense <laughs> is certainly one of those. Um, 
you know, we talk about uh, in our workshops sometimes um, the East India Company, you know, was one of the first corporations and they had their own Navy. Mm-hmm. They had their own army. Mm-hmm. They had, you know, a, but a fleet of ships and so forth. They'd paid a dividend for 200 years. But can you imagine if Apple had their own <laughs> armed forces and Amazon had their own military unit and so forth? Um I can't imagine what Elon Musk's troops would wear or something like that. That'd well, be a pretty sharp well, outfit. I, I, but Elon went in and fired the Twitter army because they weren't showing up. <laughs> the Twitter army. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, we uh, government has a place. Uh, but as far as capitalism, we want that minimalized as much as we can. Uh, certainly, you don't want high taxes, again, because that discourages competition. And... You know what? I'd be curious. What would you say is the antithesis of capitalism? What's the opposite economic system? Where would you go with that? Uh, I would go first to the beginning, socialism. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then communism. Yep. You know, communism being the total opposite. Yeah. Uh, but and the, you know, it seems like there's a lot of people here in this country that want to lead us into socialism. Right. And I would say it's really primarily because they really don't understand capitalism, nor do they really understand what they're getting this country into by wanting it to become more socialistic. Yep. Socialism and communism are, you know, two sides of the same coin, in my view, of basically the government controls the means of production. Uh, And again, I think there's a great uh, story that every once in a while makes its way around the Internet, whether it's true or not, don't know. But it's a good story of, you know, these uh, young college students in the class and they're they're for socialism and communism. And so the professor says, well, okay, everybody throw your cell phone in the middle of the room. And he just collects all the cell phones and then, you know, just hands out a different phone to different students. And they're like, well, no, that's my my phone's over there. You know, Joe Joe has my phone. It's like, no, you said you're for socialism. You're for communism. You don't have a phone. We'll just decide who gets your phone. And so very few people live their life that way. Uh, but as capitalists, uh, I think we have a long way to go in communicating our message effectively. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I wanted to touch base on this this afternoon Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.